I'm going to uh, have, have me a little rant, and then I am more than happy to take your questions and your comments. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on between, I guess, the unholy trinity of America, Iraq, and Iran. Now, of course, as you know, America illegally and unjustly invaded Iraq in 2003, committing the international war crime of aggression, which is about the worst thing there is. And I've got an entire presentation this on this called Iraq, A Decade of Hell, which I did some years ago, which you should really check out. I went on television to talk about it, as I recall. And since the deposing of Saddam Hussein, Iran, which has been a, of course, Islamic theocracy since 1979, has got its squiddy fingers into the power structures inside of Iraq and has significant influence on the government, on the military, which is kind of what Saddam Hussein said would happen if he was taken out. You know, in the same way that Muammar Gaddafi said that if he was taken out by Obama and Hillary in Libya, that this would open a floodgate of African migrants into Europe. And it turns out, well, funny, not so funny story. That's exactly what the hell happened. So not listening, not listening to people and going after people is um, really tough. So I'm going to give you a very brief history of how the hell we got here. And a lot of people, when I'm putting criticisms of this whole process out there on Twitter, which, of course, you should follow me, at Stefan Molyneux, when I put these arguments out there, people are always, well, what would you do? What's your answer? What's your solution? <laughs> well, I can solve the whole thing. I can solve the whole thing. And... It will be a little shocking, a little appalling, but it would be right here, right now. I can solve the whole damn thing and, and my friends, be in utter, complete, and total consistency with the non-aggression principle. Because this is what happens. There's a provocation. And listen, the attack by the Iranian-backed militia on the U.S., Embassy was an attack. The U.S. Embassy is considered to be, of course, U.S. soil. As we remember from Julian Assange now basically being tortured to death for the crime of journalism when he was hiding out in the Ecuadorian embassy. But yeah, it's an attack. I get it. It's an attack on American soil. Of course, the question as to why one of the biggest embassies, if not the biggest American embassy in the world, is out there. In Iraq, well, that's another fine question now, isn't it, right? All right, autofocus not working. Let's just do it this way then, sorry. And that's always an interesting question as well. So let's get into the meat and the gritty about what the hell happened and how the hell the world got into this situation. Listen, this is war. I may just be a little cussy. I hope that you will survive. But let's talk about what's going on. Okay. The Middle East, of course, largely a backward and warring tribal region for most of human history. And a lot of cousin marriage, not 
an overabundance of super smart people and, of course, a very backwards ideology combines to give you tribal warfare for thousands of years with very little progress in the region. Until, until, you see, after the Allies carved up, between the First and Second World War, the Allies carved up certain sections of the Middle East, but that wasn't the major problem. Of course, it was for the Middle East. Don't get me wrong there, and I have sympathy for the people who live there. But the major issue started after the end of the Second World War. So British companies in particular had developed an entire oil industry. So back in the day, like now, you can pretty much find oil in your dog's armpit. These days, the the technology for finding oil is so sophisticated. But back then, if you couldn't kind of drop a rock and, and see it from the surface, it was pretty hard to get. And the easiest oil to access was in the Middle East. So countries, Anglo countries in particular, developed these massive oil refineries, these massive corporations that processed and shipped out oil. And, of course, they paid a lot of taxes and so on. But people in the local region felt angry that all of this money was being made. Of course, a lot of it was being shipped back to British interests, British banks, British shareholders, you name it. And they got kind of angry. And so this was the beginning of socialism or the socialist approach to nationalization. Nationalization is when a bunch of thugs who call themselves the government used the power of the military and the police to steal the assets and labor of productive people, more productive people, and say that they're liberating it in the name of the people when, of course, they're just taking it over for the local oligarchy. So in Iran, the uh, government in the uh, uh, early 1950s uh, was, was nationalizing the British petroleum and other assets of the British. Now, why were they doing this? Because, of course, the British had been crippled and weakened by two major world wars in a quarter century. First World War, Second World War, England lost its empire. And, you know, this is something where people say England profited so much from the empire. That's total nonsense. The average British person was crippled by the empire. And you know this because when England ran out of money, it dumped its empire, right? Normally, if something's making a lot of money from you for you, if you run out of money, you use that more. But they got rid of the empire when they ran out of money. And so because England and the Allies and so on were in a significantly weakened state, some of the Middle Eastern countries, quite a few in fact, seized the assets of the Westerners. Now that was not great. And if you've watched my documentary, which I really, really hope that you will, called Hong Kong Fight for Freedom, if you search for it on YouTube, please add my last name, Molyneux, M-O-L-Y-N-E-U-X, just so you can actually find it, because it's... uh, Well, it's uh, kind of in the hidden kingdom these days. But you know that these kinds of trade disputes can escalate into some pretty serious business. So the British leaned on the Americans to do something about the Iranian government taking their companies, their oil companies. So there was this guy named Kermit. (laughs) I know, history has... Kind of a grim sense of humor. So there was a guy named Kermit, last name Roosevelt. That's right. Teddy Roosevelt, one of the craziest presidents ever, Teddy Roosevelt's grandson. So Teddy uh, Kermit Roosevelt was in the CIA, and in 1953, he organized two coups in Iran. The first coup against uh, the, um, the president uh, of Iran failed. 
they wanted to arrest him and so on, but he fought back and succeeded. And the next day he announced that he had triumphed and beat back the um, infidels or whatever they called them back then. Remember, of course, the um, Iran was pretty secular back then. You can look at you know pictures of women in bikinis on the beach. You've got women in education. You've got very no burkas and so on. It's a very, very liberal place back then. And so the guy, the president, he thought he was in the clear, that he dodged the CIA coup. And this, I think it was 2013, the CIA released all the documents about this is not even a conspiracy theory. This is out-and-out fact. So then the CIA tried again, and this time they succeeded. They ousted him from power, and they put him under house arrest for the rest of his life, basically. And they put in the Shah, who was kind of like a dictator and not in the um, Pinochet style, but a little bit grimmer. So 1953, the American government, on behest of British multinational corporations, uh, orchestrated a coup and overthrew the democratically elected leader of Iran and then installed the Shah. Now, the Shah ruled until 1979 when because it was a kind of hated rule, because he'd been installed by the Americans, because he had replaced a democratically elected politician, this was used as a, we hate this guy, let's have another revolution, and this one was the Ayatollah, the mullahs, the uh, religious theocrats took over, and, you know, things got, got pretty grim, and have been pretty grim in Iran since then. But that's an important thing, and, and just I'm sure you get this. You're a very smart audience, but it's important to understand that. Um, imagine if, you know, you're some big Donald Trump supporter and some foreign government deposes him and installs their preferred dictator in America. Well, you would remember that. You would know that. You would recall that. That wouldn't drop from your memory banks. And there's a lot of anger, and there's a lot of hatred. Now, I'm not a fan of nationalization, don't get me wrong, I think that's just another kind of theft. But that's an important thing to recognize and to remember, that a relatively liberal country, a relatively secular country, just as Saddam Hussein's was, was turned over to a dictator, and it was then turned over to religious extremist fundamentalists. And that, of course, is well known in the Middle East. It's, of course, very well known in Iran, but it's not really well taught in America because they're too busy having little kids write love letters to their own gender. And they're too busy teaching that there's no such thing as a valid male-female pronoun. This is, you know, they got their priorities straight. They don't teach any of this stuff. So that's some of the brief... Backstory. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happened since, and then I'm going to talk about the solution, and then I'll take your questions, and I appreciate your, your patience with all of this. So, since 2001, America has spent about $5 trillion on the war on terror. That's military engagements, bribes, and the unfunded liabilities uh, of the future need to pay for health care for veterans and so on. $5 trillion is 5,000 billion freaking dollars. Now, during that time, the number of terror attacks worldwide 
worldwide has skyrocketed $5 trillion to make America safe and to eliminate terrorism. Of course, the number of terror attacks worldwide has skyrocketed. Now, just think of that wall, the Southern Wall, that the American population has been desperate for uh, in the majority for decades. So a wall, a wall would have cost 0.1% of the cost of the war on terror. There's no money for the wall, you see. Can't, can't find the money for the wall, but they can find $5 trillion for the war on terror, which tends to drive up the number of terror attacks. I mean, it's literally like striking a bee's nest and thinking that you're going to eliminate everything. Well, just make the bees angry and produce more of them. So the result of the war on terror, what has it been? Well, more terrorism, staggering debt, and no war. And no war. America, I'm sure you know this, but it's worth reminding people because, you know, they say, gosh, you know, it's really terrible how bad Iran is, an international sponsor of terrorism and their involvement in Yemen and... uh, Absolutely. Look, I am no fan of the Iranian government. It's a monstrous theocratic dictatorship, crushing the rights and independence and freedom of its citizens. And yes, it does sponsor terrorism around the world. But so does Saudi Arabia. America's no problem selling weaponry to Saudi Arabia now. If you're looking for consistency, foreign policy is not the place to look for it. I tweeted earlier today that this is how strange foreign policy is. You have the current U.S. president killing a guy in a car that was paid for in cash with money from the previous U.S. president, which is Barack Obama shipping 20 planes worth of money, $1.6 billion of it, to Iran. U.S. commandos are deployed to 75% of the world's countries. See, if you're inside the empire, you don't really see this. You don't really know this. Outside the empire, the view is very, very different. From inside, inside the emperor, empire is kind of like the Truman Show, except like it's the Lyman's show. <laughs> U.S. commandos are deployed to 75% of the world's countries. U.S. foreign policy is largely a money laundering scheme for the military-industrial complex. And this is what is so bizarre. See, if you're going to be out there and be the world's policeman and you're going to have an empire and you're going to have 800 military bases and you're going to have your commandos deployed to 75% of the world's countries and you're going to have a massive immigration policy, you're freaking doomed. You are freaking doomed. So a country that allows allows a million immigrants a year can't afford to antagonize anyone. But, of course, invade everyone, invite everyone, is pretty key. The idea that politicians in Washington can somehow pacify and promote peace and freedom in the Middle East is completely insane. Like Washington, D.C. has staggeringly high levels of crime, some of the highest in the nation. So American politicians can't even fix communities that are right outside their own windows where they have authority and they have power, they have police and they have control and they have taxation and regulations. They can't fix the communities right outside their windows. But they can go halfway around the world, more more than halfway around the world, into languages and cultures they don't understand, into historical complexities they don't fathom. And they can totally fix the Middle East. They can't fix Washington, but don't worry. All the way across the world, they can fix that place. Just bizarre. Now, there is not going to be an escalation to World War III, as as people had some concerns about. And there was a hunger, in particular after Benghazi, and I've got a whole presentation on Benghazi, I think more than one, which you can check out on my channel, 
at youtube.com forward slash free domain radio. But after the horrific inaction on Bega- uh, in Benghazi, when the death count mounted, and then I think it was Hillary Clinton who said, oh, they're angry because there was this internet video that was out there, which is not true at all. It was, it was the anniversary of 9-11, but they didn't want that right before an election. So after the inaction of Benghazi, you had to do something. And so Trump had to do something. And yeah, a drone strike on this guy. Listen, the, the, the guy who orchestrated it, the guy that the militia who attacked the compound was saying, this guy's our leader. Yeah, bad guy, bad guy, without a doubt. And there's no decent person in the world who's unhappy that he's gone, <laughs> which you, you can check by perusing the New York Times, who praised him as a sensitive poet, this terrorist leader. Of course, right? He's a astute religious scholar, I'm sure. So you do have to sometimes settle for improvements, right? Spanking a child is better than beating a child. Circumcision is better than outright castration. And yes, drone strikes are better than ground wars. Sometimes, you know, we we have this perfect ideal world that we want to get to. And sometimes you just have to swallow the ideals and just say, okay, We're one step up the mountain, and at least we're not going down the mountain, I suppose, right? And it's funny because I remember I was on Joe Rogan's show a couple of times. This is probably five or six years ago. And the question was, you know, well, how would a stateless society deal with violence or aggression or an army or invasion or whatever, right? And I remember talking about how you just take out military leaders as an alternative to a full-scale war. It's the military leaders who are causing the war. It's not the average person who's causing the war. This is an old saying I'm going to paraphrase from Hermann Goering, the end of the Second World War. He said, um, well, of course, the average person doesn't want war. The average, why, why would he? The average young man, why would he want war? He gets ripped out of his community, ripped out of his work, ripped out of his wife's arms, ripped away from his children's table, and he gets shipped off overseas. And the best that he can do is hope to come back in one piece, though still probably shattered in mind and spirit. So, of course, the average person doesn't want war, he said. But, you know, it's relatively easy to do it. You just, you know, provoke someone and then anybody who claims to be a pacifist, you claim is serving the enemy and boom, off you go, right? Of course, the average person doesn't want war. It's the military leaders. So I was on Joe Rogan and I got a lot of eye rolling at the time. I think some even from Joe about how, no, you just, you target the leaders of the oppressive military, of the dangerous military. And that's a far better thing than, than a ground war. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was right insofar as this is what's happening and this seems to be a lot more effective. With regards to dangerous, you know, terrorism, even if you include 9-11, is responsible for very few American deaths. When it comes to dangerous to America, the idea that you're going to float over there to Iran and say, gosh, that's a big dangerous thing to America, no. Judicial Watch just today released a report that said more than 100,000 illegal immigrants who requested a special Obama-era amnesty for adults who came to the U.S. as children have criminal histories, according to an alarming report released this month by the government. 100,000 illegal immigrants got amnesty, requested this amnesty, have criminal histories. 100,000. Don't worry, though. I'm sure the real danger to Americans is Iran. Now, 
I did do some tweets that I think people found surprising. And I did point out that Iran has not started a war since 1946. I had originally talked about 1980, but I was reminded, and rightly so, I'm not a huge expert in this area, of course, right? I, philosophically, I'm down with the principles, but as far as the detailed history goes, you would go elsewhere. But um, somebody reminded me that uh, it was uh, Iraq that invaded Iran in 1980. So Iran has not started a war directly since 1946. Now, if you compare this to America, America has been at war for 96% of its entire history, of its entire history. America has been at war 96% of that time. Now, this is not moral equivalence. I'm, America is a far more moral and far better country than Iran is, for sure. But again, that's the view from inside America. So from inside America, you've got the First Amendment, you've got the Second Amendment, you've got all of these wonderful constitutional protections, but they don't particularly apply when someone's uh, using radioactive weapons in Iraq. Right? Those, those don't really apply, right? You understand? When the, gen when the population of Fallujah is genetically half destroyed through horrible weapons, it doesn't really matter to them overly much that you have a First and Second Amendment in America. It doesn't really help them very much now, does it? So... People were saying to me, okay, well, what would be the appropriate response to raiding an embassy? Which, again, is an act of war. So then, of course, the question is what somebody is saying. Well, you know, if, if the Iranian-backed militia raid the U.S. embassy, that's terrible, right? So then I, I wrote back and I said, wait, you mean it's bad to invade sovereign territory like the U.S. did with Iraq? Because every allegation from, from a foreign policy standpoint, I'm not talking about domestic policies, the domestic policies of Iran are horrible and ghastly. Theocratic dictatorship, I get that. They, they throw women in jail for dancing in the streets. I get all of that. I'm not moral equivalent guy. But when it comes to foreign policy, who has done more damage in the world stage? It's an interesting question. Because the view from outside the empire is very different from the view inside the empire. And of course... When it comes to defining terrorism, say, ah, oh, well, Iraq is the world's largest or major state supporter or funder of terrorism. Okay, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to accept that. But terrorism, you see, is a very tricky thing to define. And I did this on a show years ago, but there was a, uh, a challenge. Whenever the major powers in the world were asked to define terrorism, they couldn't come up with a definition that didn't massively include their own foreign policy. And that's uh, quite important, I think. Okay, so let's, let's talk solutions, and then I will get to your questions and, and comments and, and do my best with them. Okay. I've said, and I'm, if I could get you to brand this in your brain, I would really, really appreciate it. I don't care what the question is. The answer is always more freedom. I don't care what the question is. The answer is always more freedom. So what does this mean? So philosophy is about prevention, not cure. 
and I've used this analogy before, but, you know, for those of you who are new to the conversation, I will trot it out very briefly here. So let's say you're some Jerry Garcia couch potato lumphead. You've been eating terribly. You haven't exercised. You smoked or whatever, right? And then you call, like you oh, you get chest pains. You, 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 your arm goes numb. You can't move it. And you, 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 you panic dial a nutritionist. And a personal trainer, right? Some guy, he's both a nutritionist and a personal trainer. Like one of these golden one gods who flexes their abs and cracks screens all over Instagram. So you call this guy and he says, hello. And you say, I need your help. And he says, what's going on? And you say, I'm having a heart attack. I really need to change my diet. And I got to start doing some sit-ups. I mean, what's the nutritionist going to say to you? Dude, if you'd called me 20 years ago, I might have been able to help it right now. Right now, you need to call an ambulance. You need to call 911. Because it's too late for diet and exercise to help you now. If you survive the heart attack, you can call the guy up. Hey, crisis is passed. I'm going to reform my diet. I'm going to start doing some exercise. That's great. But you cannot call a nutritionist during a heart attack. Because nutrition and exercise is about preventing a heart attack, not curing one currently in progress. So if you want to know what philosophy says about all of this mess, you got to go back. Because right now, there's kind of like a heart, heart attack situation and people are saying to me, well, what would you do? Well, I would have changed what happened decades ago, which of course is impossible. I understand that. No time machines. But we have to understand how we got here so that we can change what we do looking forward so we don't end up in this kind of dangerous brinksmanship crisis situation where people are waking up terrified of World War III and then the Iranian response has been said, well, we're going to lodge a complaint with the uh, UN about what America did in drone striking this guy. I think they got two. In other words, instead of opening fire in the restaurant, so to speak, the Iranian government is, is calling the manager. which is interesting. And, by the by, <laughs> for all of the uh, Democrats who are complaining that Trump didn't tell you about the attack before it happened, well, that's because he didn't want you leaking it to the Iranians. A lot of backdoor diplomacy going on, I believe, between the Democrats and uh, people like the Iranians and so on. Okay, so what does philosophy have to say about this. And you know, if you hear someone's had a heart attack and they've eaten badly and they haven't exercised, then the nutritionist is going to say, oh, you know, it'd be great if you ate better and exercised, you could probably avoid this kind of stuff. And that doesn't help the guys currently having a heart attack, but it sure helps all the people down the road, right? So we're looking down the road. What can we do to solve this problem? Well, I will tell you what we can do to solve this problem. But first of all, we need to understand what the problem is. The problem is not Iran. The problem is not the embassy. The problem is not terrorism. The problem, believe it or not, is environmentalism. <laughs> I just heard all these floaty heads across the internet doing their thing. No, um, I, will, I will make the case. I will make the case, and then you can tell me if I'm crazy or not. So how did these theocracies gain so much power? How did the Muslim leaders, the Islamic leaders 
gain so much money to spread the religion around the world. Well, of course, it's uh, oil. It's oil money, right? So then the question is, why do they have so much oil money? Now, the answer to that is environmentalism. Now, I don't mean environmentalism like it would be great to put scrubbers on our factory chimneys. I worked in the environmental field for years. I do understand this stuff pretty well. So I'm not talking about, hey, there used to be a gas station here. We really need to clean up the gas station before we built a kindergarten. We need to clean up the soil. We need to remove the underground storage tanks. We need to clean up all the stuff that's down there. I get all of that. I'm not talking about that kind of environmentalism. I'm talking about the kind of environmentalism that so starves the West of its capacity to become self-sufficient in oil that untold trillions of dollars flow from Western, Christian, republics and democracies to Middle Eastern Islamic theocracies. That is what I'm talking about. Why is this region even an issue to begin with? A lot of it has to do with oil and the profits that come from it. So the environmentalists, of course, it's known as the watermelon movement among people with any kind of discernment. Why? Because watermelons are green on the outside but red on the inside. And the infiltration of a formerly pretty top-shelf environmental movement, the infiltration of that by socialists and communists has been, I mean, virtually complete. Virtually complete, which is why the environmental movement has not made any sense at all for decades. It makes no sense whatsoever and hasn't for decades because it's been infiltrated and turned from its original goal of protecting the environment to social engineering and the destruction of free markets and Western countries by the goddamn communists. I'll give you a couple of examples. So if you care about the environment, there's two things that you should oppose. You should oppose government debts and you should oppose mass migration from low carbon consumption or low energy consumption economies to high energy consumption economies. And these two things are two sides of the same coin. You can't have mass migration without debt because otherwise the taxes are raised too much. There's a taxpayer revolt and the mass migration stops. So you have to borrow like crazy. Now, when you borrow, you are consuming resources in the here and now at the expense of future consumption. You borrow $100 now at 10% interest and you've got to pay it back in a year. You are simply consuming 100, 100 bucks now in order to not consume 110 bucks down the road. So it's a massive concentration of immediate consumption when governments borrow untold trillions of dollars. Every human life in the world is currently supported and sustained by 30,000 American dollars of debt. So if you care about the environment, you must massively oppose government deficits and government debt, and certainly unfunded liabilities as well, because that's just another future liability. If a government prints $100 billion and spends it, that's $100 billion worth of consumption of nature-scarce resources, which has to be paid for at some point down the road. It massively concentrates the squandering of resources in the here and now. So you should oppose that. But they don't. Why? Because government debt facilitates creeping socialism because the actual price tag of socialism is pushed down to the next generation. So if you're a socialist, you're a communist, you want to continue to expand the powers of the state, then you absolutely must run 
the digital twitch-fingered Federal Reserve central banking printing presses from here to eternity. Otherwise, you've got to raise taxes in order to pay for your massive socialist engineering. People figure it out and push back. And you can't achieve what you want, right? Debt is the drug that turns our defenses into sleeping sentries. You know, Epstein guard style. Drug gives us the delusion that the government is adding value to the economy. So if you care about the environment, you should massively oppose government debt. Balanced budget amendments should be first on your list because the amount of destruction that is wrought upon the environment by massively cocaine-upping the spending in the here and now at the expense of the future is staggering. But they don't because it's not about saving the environment. It's about pushing socialism, and debt pushes socialism at the expense of the environment. They don't care, though, because they're just using the environment to appeal to people's Ansel Adams pastoral fantasies so that they continue to expand the power of the state. That's number one. Number two, of course, mass migration is catastrophic for the environment. Foreign aid is catastrophic to the environment. I mean, you've got um, births per capita of seven or more in, in some African countries. A lot of that is a result of foreign aid. But, of course, the environmental movement was given some... Organizations within the environmental movement were given a lot of money a long time ago to shut the hell up about immigration. And they did. 30 pieces of silver, I suppose. Do you know that the Saudis actually fund environmental groups? <laughs> of course they do. Do you think they want Sarah Palin's drill, baby drill, to actually start putting up Beverly Hillbilly-style gushers in the Arctic so that America achieves energy self-sufficiency? you think they want the West drilling for its own oil and not having to send trillions of dollars to the Middle East, which they can use to expand their belief systems around the world. So the answer is always more freedom. The answer is always, 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 always more freedom. Freedom to drill. Freedom to explore energy production, freedom for self-sufficiency, freedom from regulations, free from freedom from inhibitions, freedom from six million environmental reviews every time you want to move a log in your backyard, freedom for pipelines, stopping the massive subsidies that go into government roads, freedom for roads to be privatized so they can charge more, for rush hour traffic, which gives people an economic incentive to avoid rush hour traffic, work from home, work different hours, you name it. Environmentalists should oppose the insane system that we have right now where women enormously profit from divorcing their husbands. Why? Because when you divorce, you massively consume nature's scarce resources. Now you need two houses, two sets of toys, a lot of extra driving. That's expensive, costly, destructive of scarce resources. So why don't environmentalists demand an end to mass migration, balanced budget amendments, and a, ref a reforming of the family courts so that divorce becomes less attractive? That would enormously help the environment. You see, they're not about helping the environment. All of these three things, national debts, mass migration, destruction of the family, all of those serve socialism and communism, so they use your concern for the environment 
to extend the Nazgul wing power of the state over the sunlit valleys of your children's futures, turning them into a Stygian Mordor-style Beijing air, smoky-lunged hellscape of the future. Now, I do know, of course, that uh, America has become a net oil exporter. That's good. But, yeah, the environmentalists and those who followed and swallowed this environmental nonsense without a critical thought or mind, oh, you skeptical of the current extreme left-wing environmentalist movement wherein, you know, several key people in the movement want to get the human population down from many billions to 500 million or less. That's quite a minus sign they got going on there. (laughs) Somebody was talking about, um, oh, I don't know. So, I mean, this is sort of a side thing, though. It does lead back to the same topic. So, you know, some guy was like, well, Steph, you're boring because you retweet yourself. It's like, yeah, duh, of course I retweet myself because not everyone's following my Twitter account 24 I mean, you should be. Don't get me wrong. You should be. But not everyone is following my Twitter account all the time. Of course they're not. You know, so if I had a really good tweet in the morning, I will retweet it at night. Of course. I mean, I, you know, I'm not dumb. Just go listen to um, Tom Likas about why he repeats things on the radio because <laughs> people get out. They get out of their car. They go get a coffee. They get back into their car. They've missed a bit, right? And, of course, I was told this by a guy who had 60 followers, and I'm trying to be nicer on Twitter. I'm really working on it, but I did say, please tell me more how I should manage my Twitter account so I, too, could end up with 60 followers, right? And people got really mad at me. Oh, that's terrible. You're bullying this guy. It's like, you're, you're just, it's a dick-measuring contest. It's like, no, listen, if, if you're going to tell me how to lose weight, I expect you not to be fat. Come on. I mean, this isn't even, this isn't even complicated. If you're going to tell me how to run my Twitter account... And after a couple of years, you have 60 followers. It's like, I'm just, you know, it's ridiculous, right? I'm not shame people. I don't care how many followers you have. I'm sitting there going shaming people who have 10 followers or 5 followers or 0 followers. I don't care. It's fine. You can make an argument to me about anything, and I'm never going to check your follow account. Unless your argument is how to effectively run your Twitter account. And I, as perhaps the most controversial person on social media these days... Got close to 450,000 on Twitter. Holding steady at 927,000 on YouTube. Up and down, up and down like the Assyrian Empire. Anyway, so people were accusing me of bullying this guy because I quoted his Twitter account when he was telling me how to effectively run. A Twitter followers when he was telling me how to effectively run a Twitter account. I said, you're bullying the guy. And I'm like, bullying? What are you, crazy? I'm quoting, I'm quoting his number of followers as relevant to his claims of expertise. And then somebody wrote back, don't worry, I'll get you there, friends, I will. Somebody wrote back and said um, that uh, uh, it, it is bullying. And I said, no, if, if you want bullying, then you know, you've got to stand up on a stage where there have been bomb threats and give a speech like I did in Detroit a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now. Like, that's bullying, right? And then someone else said, oh, yeah, Death threats against a child who is concerned about her future. Something like that. It seemed like a bit of a non sequitur. Maybe I got the sequence wrong. But, of course, they're talking about Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg and her concern about her future and so on. And it's like, but, you know, Greta Thunberg, I mean, it's a shame that she's 16, but that's kind of the child human shield that uh, these people hide behind. But... 
No, I mean, she, she is advocating for a universal socialism or mass takeover of the economy by the government that is going to uh, cause the deaths of millions and millions and millions of people. So it's not just that she's concerned about her future. Hey, we're all concerned about her future. But that's kind of a different situation. So, yeah, if you want to avoid these kinds of problems in the future, well, having 800 military bases and having your commandos deployed to 75% of the world's countries is insane. I mean, I get it's profitable. Look at all the money that's going missing in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places, and you'll understand just how so many public servants on their relatively small salaries can accumulate so much money. You know, war blows showers of gold into the pockets of sociopaths on a regular basis. It disassembles people and reassembles them into godforsaken, blood-soaked prophets. And that's the truth. Now, how do we avoid it? Well, become energy self-sufficient to hell with the socialist creep of pseudo-environmentalism, starve the theocracies of cash, become self-sufficient, close the borders, stop borrowing and printing money. But that's how you solve these kinds of issues. But then, of course, apparently you hate owls, so we can't have any nice things. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for your patience. I have... Uh, um, I will listen to your questions and comments, and uh, I will um, do my best to answer them, and hopefully that will make everybody happy. Everybody happy, which I would like to do. You know, I would like for everyone to be, to be happy. All right, so let me just get into your uh, questions, and... Uh, I'll see if I can uh, find them. I know everyone's been typing stuff. And of course, oh yeah, so I've been liking the Twitter Thoughts elaboration videos. A good compliment. Glad to see you. You and your shoulders looking well. Spot on regarding environmentalism. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Let me tell you. No, no super chat option. I've been demonetized. Uh, So no. Please, please. You know, I mean, this has been a a hell of a year. And uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Please, please, uh, you know, give, give us a hand. Man, this is uh, this has been quite challenging. But anyway, so uh, on on over New Year's, uh, I went uh, tobogganing and I I did a standing toboggan, uh, and I fell and just unfortunately I fell. My shoulder went into an ice pocket of somebody's shoes that had frozen over, and it just oof. And I thought, oh man, I'm doomed, right? Because it you know it just takes forever to get to heal when you get older. And so I posted on on Twitter. Why? <laughs> Why did I post on Twitter for advice on how to deal with this? Because I don't have, you know, three days to spend in the emergency ward, right? I mean, it's this Canadian socialized medicine, so everything just takes forever. And people did give me some very good advice. So I did some witch hazel. Uh, I did some ice. I didn't do any heat because I checked with a, um, uh, someone about that who was uh, more expertise. And, you know, it really, really helped. So I got full motion. It's still a tiny bit twingy, but it's much better. And I really, really appreciate that. So, uh, you know, you guys are really helping out. And I, I appreciate that. All right. Let's see here. Freedomain.com forward slash donate to to help me out. Let's see here. My favorite is Jordan Peterson. You're gaining. Jordan is pretty powerful, and uh, I really, really uh, appreciate uh, that's a very, very kind thing. Have I made any videos on Teddy Roosevelt? You know, it's funny. I, uh, I'm, I'm really torn about videos at the moment because my inbox is, is – and listen, I really want to hear what you guys think. I mean, it's a conversation, right? 
So my inbox is totally stuffed with people who want personal call-ins. And listen, I just did put out one. Uh, for my Subscribestar supporters, you get early sh shows, and sometimes you get shows that are only for, for Subscribestar supporters. And uh, I just put out one about a woman who's terrified that her sister is going to be marrying entirely the wrong man. I put a little snippet of it on my YouTube channel called The Truth About Marriage, uh, but the whole show is available there. So my, my inbox is full of, of people who just like, can you bring philosophy to bear on my life? And I really respect that. And, um, you know, I can do those shows with a little bit of research, kind of off the cuff, so to speak. I have a lot of experience with that kind of stuff. Doing something on Teddy Roosevelt is going to take like a week. And, you know, it's a little tough, to be honest, because, you know, the, um, uh, the YouTube algorithm has me so buried. I've become like uh, uh, a dinosaur bone <laughs> or a complete um, Tyrannosaurus or something like that in terms of being able to find me on YouTube. So it's a little tough to put a lot of work into a video and not get much results. I mean, the, uh, uh, the, the Hong Kong documentary was uh, really poured heart, mind, body, soul, and bucks into that, and um, that really got buried. So again, you can follow me on uh, BitChute. Uh, I'm on LBRY, uh, LBRY.com. You should check that out. I'm on a wide variety of different places, so you can check that out. All right, let's see here. When does the AMA start? Oh, sorry, right about now. Uh, where is John Kerry? <laughs> well, there is, of course, some thoughts that John Kerry did some backdoor diplomacy, which I don't believe is particularly great at all. And um, Obama sent $125 billion to Iraq. Okay, just to clarify that, uh, that's not really true uh, at, at all, right? So there were, I think, about $150 billion of Iranian assets that had been th frozen and an international consortium unfroze them, and so on. So if you're thinking about the money that Obama sent directly to Iraq, uh, $1.6 billion is the most accurate figure that I've seen uh, in cash, and that is, uh, that is pretty pretty nasty. You're wrong on this one, Stefan. Well, I don't know. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. You thrive off misery. Hmm. Is that for me? I don't really think that's uh, particularly, uh, particularly true. All right. Uh, let me just grab another couple of questions. If I can't find anything particularly actionable, then it's going to be, uh, whoa. Stefan, my girlfriend is pregnant. I don't know if it's mine because I'm on medication that makes my sperm count so low that I'm practically infertile. I tried saying something, but she got mad. What should I do? Oof. Oh, my gosh. Um, that is a, uh, that's a tough question. Do you have any uh, friends of hers that you're friends with who you think might tell her the truth if she might be stepping out or playing around or have a side piece or something like that? Um, if you can get your sperm counted, uh, then I think that's helpful. If your sperm count is so low and she's uh, pregnant, then I don't know where you are, but uh, it, it's it's worth getting a test. It's worth getting a pregnancy test. You know the old thing, uh, um, mama's baby is daddy's maybe and that's an important thing but yeah you've, you've got to got to get it checked out as best as you can and again i don't know what you can do but uh, all of that so let's see here i'd appreciate it if you had anything to say about making sense of dreams how you developed your approach what resources inspired you what should people know about dreams ah well uh so and it's funny i was just thinking about this the other day back in the it seemed slightly less cliff edge and more playful days of free domain back when it was free domain radio. 
I used to do dream analyses with people who would call in, and I have found it, you know, fascinating. And, and I think dreams are incredibly powerful and incredibly important. And dreams are usually metaphorical or allegorical enactments of things that you can't accept in your conscious mind. And uh, you can usually find out what's going on. How did it make sense of them? Well, you read a lot of uh, Jung, uh, some Freud, Freud on the interpretation of dreams. Freud was a lunatic who drugged his patients and, and got tons of people addicted to cocaine and uh, half killed a friend of his with, with pseudomeds and like just a real monster of a guy. But he did have some interesting stuff to say about dreams. So Jung and Freud are, are good to read about this. And um, yeah, when you have a vivid dream, you know, write it down and sit and think about what happened the day before. And, you know, I've said this before, I had this, I've only had, I think, one, no, I've had two series of repetitive dreams in my life. One I talk about in my book, Essential Philosophy, which you can find at EssentialPhilosophy.com. And the other was that I, I continually faced a giant tsunami that would hit me so hard, I would be like, literally, limbs would be torn off, I'd be tossed like a rag doll upside down and, and all of that. And um, that, of course, was the truth hitting me, which was my way of understanding how the truth that I speak were going to hit the world. And um, dreams are very, very important. So please, please focus on them. Um, you know, if you have a good therapist, too, I worked on my dreams quite regularly. I, have a, I had an entire cast of characters in, in my dreams that showed up um, on a regular basis. And uh, it was quite the, uh, quite the long-running show while I was in therapy for about a year and a half. So I have them all written down as well, all of my therapy notes. Anyway, somebody says, you should have Bill Whittle on to talk about around years ago the stuff that's happening. I would, be, uh, I would enjoy that. I like Bill. Let's see here. Steph, I want to believe in 100% peaceful parenting, but is there really never a situation that calls for a non-bruise, non-mark-inducing spanking? No, no. I really believe in not hitting my wife, but boy, there's got to be some times where she does, right? Come on, I mean, that's not going to... Uh... No, no. See, here's the thing. Creativity comes when existing avenues get blocked off. And... You know, people are the most entrepreneurial sometimes when they don't inherit a lot of money. Or as it used to be said, necessity is the mother of invention. So if you have in your back pocket a willingness to hit your children, then you're not going to explore and examine alternatives to hitting your children. If you say, well, I'm not going to hit my children, then you have the challenge of finding other ways of dealing with your children. And your children will listen to you. Like So hitting kids, it's, it, it only works when they're young. And it only works temporarily. And it will cause your children to not listen to you in the future because you're fundamentally hypocritical, right? Because if you hit your children and then don't allow them to hit anyone else, then you're saying, well, I can hit you, but, but you can't hit anyone. And I, I can hit you though I'm an adult, but you can't hit anyone though you're a kid. You as a child should restrain yourself from hitting people, but I as an adult can indulge in hitting people. I mean, come on. It's not going to work. And it's really going to blow. You'll get some compliance when they're young, but it's going to, you know, parenting, parenting, sorry about all glasses, sunglasses off. Parenting is all about the teenage years. Everything is just preparation. You know, like flying is in generally, if you're not JFK taken off late and JFK Jr. taking off late in a horrible storm and probably fighting with your wife, then um, flying is mostly about the landing and parenting is mostly about the teenage years. And uh, if you hit your kids when they're young, you will pay and a half 
when it becomes uh, teenagers. So just uh, really try and avoid that. Okay. Um, I think most of us just want the old 15 minutes to one hour long informative dissections of current events with complimentary bits of facts and stats and history. You were the best for that. Need more, please. Well, I, uh, I appreciate that. And, um, I mean, it's, it comes to, do you want fewer shows? Um, if there's more detail in it. I mean, I've been working on uh, the uh, truth about Immanuel Kant for quite some time. Would you ever debate Ben Shapiro at Politicon? Uh, I would, I would, but I don't think Ben Shapiro would uh, debate me. And, uh, you know, that's not some sort of big tough guy call out. I just think that uh, uh, he wouldn't, he would not. So uh, I have some measure of anhedonia in recent weeks. I can't work or relax or do anything what do you recommend? Well, uh, I would recommend, of course, uh, please to get your um, get yourself checked, right? I mean, go go see your doctor and, and get everything checked. I think that would be important. Uh, make sure that there's nothing there that's uh, going on. That uh, is something you need to uh, really, really check on. So um, do that. And, and if that's not doing anything for you, uh, I certainly would be happy to uh, to check on you. So let's see here. Do numbers exist? Do mathematics exist outside the human mind? Uh, numbers do not exist, but that does not make them subjective, right? So if you look at two coconuts, there are two discrete entities, but the number two or the relationship that there is to do, does not exist in reality, does not exist in reality. And so people have this problem with concepts and that they think because they don't exist in reality, they're then subjective. But they're not because they describe real things in the real world. If there are three coconuts and you call them two, you're incorrect objectively. So just because something doesn't exist empirically in the real world doesn't mean that it's subjective. So um, no, mathematics do not exist outside the human mind, but accurate mathematics do accurately describe things in the world. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about my romantic life. Let's see here. Go vegan shout-outs from Moscow. Would you elaborate what you meant about environmentalists being bribed to not talk about immigration? Or you can just do a search for this. Uh, it's pretty, pretty common out there uh, about there was a debate back in the day about immigration and its effect upon the environment. But because leftists were infiltrating and leftists are using immigration as a weapon against the West, then uh, no. Will you debate Kantbot? Oh, yeah. I this guy was, I don't know, kind of calling me out on, on um Twitter and, you know, there's all this, well, you're not going to debate it. What are you scared of and stuff? And I, I you know, okay, I, I don't know this guy. And I had a look at his feed and I was just dumb. Like it was just dumb insults. And, and I'm sorry, like, yeah. just not, uh, not uh, interesting. And uh, let's see here. Yes, your videos are way too long. Steph, will you try to set up a debate on spanking with Jordan Peterson? My husband using, uses Jordan's advice as justification. Um, you know, it's tough. You know, the, the reputation shredders have been kind of at work on me uh, over the last little while, and uh, it has been uh, 
you know, it is a challenge. So they're trying to sort of push me out of mainstream debating situations. And, you know, whether they're successful or not, I don't know. Uh, and um, uh, so I would, I, I, you know, I think that I may be, I may be too smeared to, to do sort of mainstream debates at the moment, which is sort of the point and purpose. But I would certainly be happy doing a debate uh, about that. Would I debate fascism again? Uh, sure. Um, would you debate Jay Dyer? Now, Jay Dyer, it's interesting because, I mean, he has been around for as a debate sort of suggestion for um, for a long time. And so here's the thing. I wouldn't in particular debate Jay Dyer because I'm not really sure how much we would disagree with at the moment. And given my uh, very positive thoughts and feelings towards Christianity at the moment, I wouldn't necessarily want to start hitting people uh, in in the faith solar plexus, so to speak, who are Christians. Um, so, what is your favorite inspirational quote? That's a good question. It's a good question. I will, I will think of that. I will think of that. What were the free market solutions you used to fight your cancer? Uh, well, it was leaving Canada and going to America, and uh, paying for a surgery that I could have gotten for free in Canada. So. Uh, on the mention of Bill Mitchell, I noticed that ever since he agreed with the president's Syriad strikes, you have not had him on your show. You had a bit of a falling out. No, no, not really. Um, not really at all. I, I, I still like Bill. And we, you know, we, um, we can disagree. We can disagree on things. And that uh, doesn't mean he's an enemy. Uh, let's see here. How would an anarchist state work? Okay, so I've got a whole book on that called, well, you should start with Everyday Anarchy, and then you should go to Practical Anarchy, which is, two, there are two free books available at freedomain.com. Would I do a show with Black Pigeon Speaks? With no particular opposition to it. Uh, and look, if, if you want, you know, here's the thing, you know, take life into your own hands. If you want to set something up, uh, set it up, set up a, um, a subject, contact both people, like, don't be passive about it. Would you debate Destiny? Um, well, that's sort of come up before, and uh, I got a comment from someone who knows him that he was just, what did he want to debate, white supremacy or some SHIT or something like that? It just seemed kind of like, meh, right? Um, not uh, not focused, not uh, intellectual or anything like that. Uh, Steph, where do you get your information on race and genetics? I'm a person of mixed ethnicity, Asian, Caucasian, and Native North American, and think it would be a benefit for me to know about this. Uh, so I've got a whole series www.fdrurl.com forward slash IQ. Uh, that's uh, a bunch of stuff that is important. I'm of mixed ethnicity as well because I'm uh, Irish, half Irish and half German. So I'm also mixed ethnicity, just not mixed race. So uh, anyway. Um... Hi, Stefan. I'm a rhetorician. Can someone really be a great philosopher without being a great rhetorician and vice versa? Well, um... <laughs> that's interesting. That's interesting. So I was a, a good and creative programmer and designer of software and so on, but it didn't really matter if I couldn't sell it. It didn't really matter if people didn't want to have me come and present. And, you know, when I would go and give presentations, like it's funny how the business world really did help me in the sort of online philosophy world because when I was in the business world, I would sort of travel sometimes two, three weeks a month, uh, go out and like after I'd finished the coding and we'd, we'd release the software, I'd then go out and sell it. And uh, I would uh, 
uh, you have to engage people in very abstract software discussions and, and try and be entertaining and engaging and all of that. So I had a lot of sort of, quote, public speaking, and I did presenting conferences from time to time. So that really did help. So it does matter that you're able to, you know, give that spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. It really does matter. You sort of think of those Flintstones vitamins. I'm sure they're not great for you or whatever, but when I was a kid, kids didn't want to take their vitamins, but they had these chewable Flintstones vitamins that were kind of like candy, and maybe they were terrible for you, but as far as getting kids to eat candy, it's not, uh, sorry, to eat vitamins, it wasn't so, so bad. So I think that it is important that you know how to turn a phrase. It is important that you can try and work some humor into what it is that you do. It is important that you learn how to work with analogies. And it's funny because analogies for me are like a waking dream they pop into my head and nine times out of ten they're very effective one time out of ten they aren't in which case i sort of make a joke about it because that's just the nature of the beast so yes you do need to study rhetoric you do need to study persuasion and scott adams is very good at this you do need to study how the human mind works and you do need to find a way to get people to engage with what it is that you're doing and it is important to study human communication as well as reason and evidence. So, yes. All right. Next documentary idea. Well, I've got a couple of um, uh, ideas. I, I certainly want to do the history of philosophy. Uh, for those of you who watched, uh, I think it's down at the moment, um, Hoaxed at hoaxedmovie.com, I did a little bit at the end on Plato's Cave. I really enjoyed that. And I would really like to do a history of philosophy. I, I do want to create more beauty rather than just analyze the decline, you know, <laughs> grin through the catastrophes. So I would very much like to do that, which would mean going, of course, to, to Europe and other places. And, and that would be expensive, but I would really, really like to do that. So that's interesting. I would like to... Um, Go to more Eastern European countries and figure out what they're doing because I think, I mean, Poland was fascinating to me and, and revolutionary in many ways. And uh, I'm also quite interested in the Yellow Vest movement, though I understand that would be risky in a way that even Hong Kong wasn't. So um, I'm certainly happy to hear more ideas, but that's, you know, it's funny, just over a year, three documentaries is quite a lot. That is quite a lot. Let's see here. What are your dreams like? Um, not bad. Maybe once every six months I'll have a really bad dream. And that's usually something important for me to to sort of figure out. But my dreams, somewhat pedestrian. They are usually puzzles and problem solving. And sometimes they're a lot of fun and funny. And yeah, again, once or twice a year I get something like, yikes. So let's see here. How do I, a 22-year-old male, talk to my cousin, 28 female, and her husband, 29 male, about raising their kids? Two female Two fem a female two-year-old and a four female four-year-old without being dismissed for not being a parent. Her oldest attacked my mother, 56, and my grandmother, 83. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Well, I don't know if they vote, but if they do vote, you can say, well, why would you vote if you're not a politician? Why would a politician listen to you if you're not a politician? You can ask the woman if she's ever given advice to a man, and then you say, well, why would you give advice to a man if you're not a man? Right. And um, so you can just point out that reason and evidence is supposed to cross these particular experiential things. You know, does an oncologist actually have to have gone through cancer in order to give advice on how to treat cancer? Well, of course not. Does a personal trainer has 
has a personal trainer ever had to be fat in order to convince someone to lose weight? You don't need the direct experience if you have reason and evidence. So I think you can make that. Is the German side of your family from Dresden? Well, my mother was born in Berlin, but uh, my grandmother was killed in Dresden. So there was uh, moving, moving around a lot. Uh, hey, Stefan, my wife and two children are proof of your work or you work. I appreciate that. I hope that's good. I'm sure that's good. Um, Steph, would you be interested in debating Kurt Doolittle on propertarianism? Uh, I'm sorry, I have not. I've heard propertarianism floating around, and I really do need to spend time to do that. Um, so I, I'm sure I would be fine, but I haven't done it yet. Steph, I've been taking the Olavio de Carvalho philosophy course. Sorry about that. Olavo de Carvalho philosophy course. What do you have to say about him? Would you do a show with him again? I would. I would. I would. I would. Trump has appointed over 150 judges. He's transformed the court. Do you think the deep state will see justice? See, I mean, the reason why, in my humble opinion, the reason why the deep state has not seen justice is because if the Department of Justice moves to arrest people who've lied to the FBI, who've lied to Congress, who've lied to the CIA, who've... um, falsified FISA warrants who have uh, spied on political opponents who have manipulated a process designed to uh, spy on foreigners in order to uh, spy on domestic political opponents and so on, uh, then what happens is if there's movements in that direction, then the media, which is so pro-Democrat, will whip up a truly revolutionary hysteria and there will be cars burning in the streets uh, and there will be mass mayhem and there will be, like, they will whip up a complete frenzy, and they will basically say that Trump is about to do a fascist takeover and, you know, you must uh, fight back with everything you've got. And they will activate, in a sense, the sleepless cells of hysterics that are waiting, primed for just such a commandment. And that is a very tricky thing, a very, very tricky thing to, to manage. Of course, of course, the people who, who run the laws knows that there have been massive law-breaking on uh, the Democrat side. I mean, I've just look at the... Uh, I mean, gosh, just the presentations that I've done uh, on the you know, spies in Congress and the uh, Alban Brothers and so on. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, right? But there is a genuine risk of massive social destabilization. I mean, you, I mean on the levels of, and but more widespread of, perhaps even of, uh, you know, when Rodney King was acquitted and there were these riots in California that caused tens of millions of dollars of damage and got people killed. And uh, I think over a thousand people got injured and it was just complete mayhem for days. So, yeah, my concern, at least I think, what would happen is because they've whipped up such Trump as Hitler hysteria that if he began to uh, or if his uh, if the Department of Justice began to move towards um, grand juries, indictments or even arrests of um, uh, people uh, on the Democrat side and maybe even on the Republican side, but certainly on the Democrat side, then the pro-Democrat media would uh, just whip up such a hysteria, such a frenzy that uh, it would be extraordinarily destabilizing for society. And then, of course, this would get blamed on um, on Trump, right? So then you would have to bring in additional forces in order to deal with that. And then, of course, that would be more evidence of how, uh, what a fascist he was and so on, right? So uh, why aren't you vegan yet, Stefan? Join us. I did try vegetarianism, not all the way to veganism, although fairly close. I did try it for a couple of years. And I'm just like, I'm really sorry. I just... I work out fairly hard, and I just, I just didn't have the energy. So my apologies. Thoughts on the Mars One mission? 
I don't know. Space porn is horrible, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool that engineers get to do all their funky, fun stuff. But all the money gets ripped off from people in order to waste money throwing bits of metal around the sky rather than having people have their own lives and their own spending and their own money. It's, it's terrible. It's, uh, it's terrible. And uh, no, they, nobody should go to Mars. Um, nobody should go to Mars. They should close the borders instead. All right. I did not uh, disavow Nick Fuentes. So that's, um, I don't know, people just, the tale grows in the telling. The tale grows in the telling. All right. Let's see here. Um, what would you say are the positives of living in Canada? I like strong seasons. I like it. I don't know how people do it like in, in, I don't know, Palm Springs and so on, where it's just like this sort of even season the whole, the whole way through. Uh, I, I like strong, differentiated seasons because they remind me that I'm mortal and they spur my ambition. And of course, my ancestors come from cold climates. I'm kind of designed for it in a way. So I like the fact that, um, I mean, I've written a whole series of poems about summer and, and that we have an odd relationship to the seasons if you come from a cold climate because the, se- the seasons renew, like winter goes back to spring, goes back to summer, goes to fall, goes to winter. So there's a cycle. But in our life, you know, if you, if you take sort of a year or the seasons as a human life, like we're born in spring, we get uh, summer is youth, autumn is, is middle age, and, and winter is old age. Well, we don't get renewed, right? So I like the fact that the seasons keep on turning. They're very vivid. Another year has gone by, and you can't miss it. You can't miss the passage of time when the temperature drops 20 degrees in a month, right? So I really do like having strong seasons. They really spur my ambition and remind, remind me that I'm going to die. And so that's kind of cool. Uh, and... Um, I'm so busy working on the show and parenting and seeing friends and, and all of that that, you know, trying to find the paperwork and time to go through the 10-plus years of moving somewhere else, well, that's uh, kind of tricky to find find the time. So, uh, Why no Super Chat? Because of demonetization. Please help me out at freedomain.com forward slash donate. All right, let's see here. Is faith more important than philosophy? If you don't accept universally preferable behavior, then you need faith for ethics. And if you don't have a belief in ethics, you can't protect your culture. So um, I know that's not much of an answer, but let's see here. Isn't supporting closed borders trusting a state's program to decrease state uh, state power? Um. Well, I did a whole show, a whole answer to this question uh, in my last call-in show, so you should check that out. And uh, yeah, listen, the closed borders thing is very unlikely to happen anyway, so I'm really talking about uh, uh, a theoretical. So uh, let's see here. Stefan, why do you hate African folks? <laughs> I don't hate African folks. What a, what a silly thing to say. I don't hate African folks at all. So let's see here. Would a U.S. civil war lead to a U.N. intervention resulting in a Bosnia-Kosovo war scenario? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a, bit, um, uh, that's a bit abstract and uh, science fiction-y for me, so I don't know. 
So, hi, Stefan, do you think Boris will deliver on Brexit or do you think he's going to stab us again in the back? I think that by the time Brexit comes around, it'll be so watered down that it won't have anything to do with slowing or stopping the immigration that Britain, British people basically voted Brexit for. So uh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I did work hard on, on Brexit and um, I was pleased when it passed. But um, any country that really works to try and control immigration at the moment is going to face a lot of destabilization, uh, unfortunately. So let's see here. Let's do a couple more. Wow, you sure can carry on a conversation. <laughs> Snow is for playing in, not living in. Oh. Uh, but veganism isn't about us, Stefan. It's about the animals. It's a moral baseline. Please reconsider. Animals are suffering so much. Please help us help them. And I get that. I really do. If I could... I mean, I really do think that it's important for me to have energy to do what I do. And um, let's see here. Uh, thank you for your work. I've donated on Subscribestar forward slash free domain. So subscribe, Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. Uh, Daniel says, I've donated on Subscribestar forward slash Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain and left a whopper of a comment. And sorry, no, listen, I check my Subscribestar messages first. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, that's an interesting question. Sorry, like the other ones weren't, but let's see here. Uh, Tony says, Stefan, most male relationships I have are mostly based on playful shit-talking of each other slash banter. What does this mean slash how to move past? And I get that. I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. So shit-talking with males is a way of showing confidence. It's a way of hardening yourself against insults and toughening up your skin. You know how like um, uh, a, a boxer will pound on the um, will pound on the on the punching bag in order to toughen up and put calluses on his knuckles or whatever, and uh, so it, it toughens you up. And there's nothing wrong with the the sort of play fighting, which is incomprehensible to a lot of women, but uh, it's sort of natural to men. But uh, it can't be the only thing that you're doing. So um, it's tough though, because because a lot of men they show affection with this sort of shit talking. It can be a problem. I actually had to end a friendship some years ago because the guy was just – all he would do is, is, is talk about stories wherein I came off looking bad and it became kind of compulsive and kind of weird after a while. So I talked to him about it, but he just couldn't seem to undo it. So I just uh, – most people are comfortable if you transition a conversation if you don't consciously identify that you're transitioning the conversation. So if with a friend you just say, you know – you know, in all seriousness, that there is something on my mind I could use your advice on or something like that, right? Then most people will be like, okay. Let's. But if you say, I feel like we should talk too much and we need to be more serious and blah, 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 people's defenses usually go up. So I would say, you know, t- t- turn without a signal <laughs> in this conversational arena, and that generally helps. Linda says, hello, Stefan, from the land of great philosophers, Greece. Hello, 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 hello. You should have Nick Zabo as a guest. Do you know him? I do not. Talk about the crisis in Argentina. Okay. Have you ever been in a fistfight? Did you win? What philosophical lesson can be learned? I have never hit anyone. Okay. One time at summer camp, I pulled a guy off a bunk because he was trash talking me and I just pulled him off the bunk and he bumped his butt. And that's it. I've never been in a fistfight and I never will be in a fistfight, I'm sure. Uh, so no, I mean, to me, once you're in a fist fight, you've lost, <laughs> you've lost. I did have, so there was a guy 
Oh boy, going back in the day. So in my early teens, when I worked in a hardware store, so I had, a store, I had so many jobs at the Don Mills Mall, it was crazy, right? But I used to go to a bowling alley because they had video games. And I used to enjoy Defender, which was it was a video, an old video game that once was characterized as having a bag of live bees placed over your head, which is kind of true. And I was doing pretty well. And a guy unplugged the machine because he wanted to play and plugged it back in. So, of course, I lost my game. And I, I called him a jerk or something like that, right? And then what he did was he ran to his big brother who went to my school. And um, his big brother then... I guess the, the little brother was mad at me but was smaller than me, so he got his big brother to start aggressing against me. And his big brother was, like, really big. Like, I was, like, I don't know, 12 or 13, and this guy was 17 or, or 18 or whatever. This is back when there was grade 13. And he was, like, a big guy. And there was no contest there, right? And this guy was like, you're dead, man. You're dead. You, you trash talk my brother. You're dead. And I was going up the stairs once, and he thumped me on the arm. It didn't actually hurt. But there was that sort of situation and, I mean, you know, when you have a dysfunctional family and the school is useless as tits on a bull when it comes to this kind of stuff, what do you do? Well, you, <laughs> you, you do what any weaker animal does. You, you dodge and you hide and you wait for it to blow over, which it did. I actually ran into that guy years later and didn't remember it at all. But, um, yeah, you just you, 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 you deploy cunning. You deploy a wit. You make uh, jokes. You become popular. You work, you work out. You become... You work on becoming good-looking because then if somebody who's kind of troll-looking attacks you, uh, then people just say, oh, it just doesn't like him because he's good-looking. He wants to do that um, raging bull thing. You ain't pretty now, are you, kind of thing. So, you know, if you work on charisma, you work on your sense of humor, you work on your verbal, verbal skills, your verbal sparring skills, and you avoid people who want to uh, punch you, uh, that's um... – and, and, you know, you don't allow yourself to do this stupid get called out. Like my best friend uh, in junior high school who unfortunately later died in a terrible motorcycling accident, uh, he was uh, called out by the biggest guy, Lebanese guy in the school, and they were going to go have this fight. And it was like, what are you talking about? We're going to have this fight. This guy's like twice your size. Like, what are you doing, right? So, yeah, just try and avoid all of that kind of stuff. So let's see here. <laughs> Why is my uncle gay? Um, what is your opinion of Anna Bay, the school of affluence woman? I do not know her. What do you think of QAnon? Um, well, I don't know much about it, but I respect Jack Pasobek, who calls it a scam. So, Why did you stop writing code? Uh, well, first of all, I still do write code. Um, believe it or not, for my show, uh, I wrote code uh, somewhat recently for a variety of reasons. So I still do write code. I'm also teaching my daughter how to work with computers, how to write code, and we've developed the usual suspects. We've developed a multiplication game, a, t a quiz, uh, a division and, and um, addition and subtraction quiz. We've developed uh, a number guessing game, you know, to guess a number between 1 and 100, and you, you, you counts the number of times you guessed, and you try and do better next time, and so on. So yeah, it still, still goes on. I love you, Stefan, says Zach. Thank you very much. Love you guys, too. Stefan Molyneux, what do you think about Jason Genova? I do not know such a person, uh, so I can't, uh, can't really answer that. Is it true that the Canadian Border Patrol is now working as baggage handlers for third-world migrants under Trudeau? Uh, yeah, there really is some, uh, some truth in that. Uh, Trudeau, of course, is, um, what, in his third week of vacation in Costa Rica at the moment, and there are pictures of him looking rather <laughs> delirious and unshaven, picking up some stuff in a convenience store, or as the Quebecers would say, a dépanneur. Matt says, have you ever had sleep paralysis? This is a big problem for me. No, I haven't, but I got to tell you, it does sound pretty 
pretty terrifying. So I'm so sorry about that. Steph, what happens to America once demographics kill the Republican Party? Uh, well, um, uh, the the uh, the people who rely on the taxpayers will overwhelm the ability of the taxpayers to pay. There'll be a wrenching social change, and things will realign themselves in some manner. All right, let's see here. Very, very interesting people, by the way. Very, very interesting questions. I really appreciate that. Uh, yes, I have seen my Wikipedia page. And, uh, you know, I was actually just thinking, I don't really know how to edit Wikipedia, and I don't think I can if it's mine, but, you know, I really think that it would be fair to list the people I've interviewed. I've interviewed hundreds of people, and uh, I would, um, uh, you know, I if you know how to do it, please go in and, and put a list in of the people I've interviewed. I think that would be true, and it's certainly factual. Uh, let's see here. Do you read Steve Saylor's blog? I do not, although I have heard of him. Uh, PewDiePie made a philosophical video lately called I Hate Twitter, Future Collaboration Maybe. I uh, like uh, PewDiePie. I think he's interesting. Uh, he's a, I don't quite get the humor in some ways because, you know, it's a video game, youthful humor. But uh, his video was, was very good. It was very good. Can you tell us much about dyslexia? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm afraid I can't. It's not really a uh, philosophical topic. Let's see, Stefan, I'm MGTOW. What do you think? I've been able to accumulate over $7 million in the last 10 years by avoiding women. Sorry, did I mention freedomain.com forward slash donate? I probably did. Uh, so, um, you know, you can uh, you cannot date women. Uh, I, I generally think it's better to find a quality woman. So, would you like me to help set up a show with Olavo de Carvalho? Yes, uh, please. That would be That would be great. Uh, let's see here. What are your thoughts on illegal immigrants getting driver's licenses in the U.S.? Well, it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. So, What do you think about completely legal immigrants from the U.S. coming to Canada? I, I just think that, that immigration needs to, uh, I mean, just needs to, it needs to stop. I mean, it just needs to stop as a whole uh, for quite some time and, uh, and see, see what happens. Let's see here. All right, let's see here. Uh, Stefan, have you smoked weed? I never have smoked weed. I've never tried marijuana, and um, I I never will. I used to have this kind of joke, like, okay, in the old age home, I'll try heroin because it really seems cool. People seem to love it, but I wouldn't want it to mess up my life. But I don't think that will ever happen, of course, right? Plus, it's not legal, so I wouldn't, right? Um, uh, Is war likely with Iran? Uh, No. No, I don't think that it would. I think that there would have been an, a slow rinse escalation of boots on the ground under Hillary, but not under Trump, which is, again, one of the reasons why uh, there are some uh, benefits to having Trump in as opposed to uh, to something else. All right. Uh, will you ever have a discussion with Eric Prince again? What is the future of private armies? Um, I mean, it could happen. I have no objection to it, but uh, there's not a lot of questions I would have for him, and he probably doesn't have a lot of questions for me. So what do you think about what's going on in Iran? Well, um, I did do that sort of earlier and so on. Uh, let's see here. Find a quality women, boys. Make children, trust me, but I'm a weed vegan, so don't listen to me. <laughs> Uh, interesting glitches in the feed. When you mention certain names, it cuts out. It's war likely now. Sorry, I did that one. 
Let's see here. Let's see here. Um, Stefan, what are your thoughts on the ketogenic Inuit diet? Unsustainable or better than the standard carb-filled diet? Ah, you know, I tell you, I'm sorry, you guys stepped on a landmine of dieting frustration for me. I have tried switching up my diet a number of times. And other than really cutting out sugar as a whole, I've not found much that, that does makes much difference. Uh, just cut back on calories. Um, I got really bloated in Hong Kong digestive issues. Basically, the time switch and food that I wasn't used to, I just got really bloated in Hong Kong. So I've been shaving that back, and that was pretty quick. I mean, you can actually see me at the beginning of the Hong Kong video, normal size, and then <laughs> get all Michelin man, like a, a giant thumb sticking out of my gut. But um, I have tried, boy, I've tried the South Beach diet. I've tried more meat. I've tried cutting out carbs. I've tried just a wide variety of things. Nothing really seems to change that much. Again, other than, you know, you get over 40, you, 45 in particular, you just got to cut out the sugar. I mean, it's just something that it's a youthful kind of fun thing, but you can't really do it uh, when you get older. So um, it is frustrating for me. Um, my energy is pretty good, but my energy mostly has to do with sleep, and I need seven to eight hours of sleep at night. That's the thing for me. If I get my seven to eight hours of sleep, man, I'm I'm good to go. I'm rocking and rolling all day. If I don't, it's a little bit, uh, you know, dragging my ass through a uh, wait-and-catch-me bush slowly backwards. Sorry, that's a bit of an African reference. But, um, yeah, um, I, um, you know, because, you know, I know Jordan Peterson has said, oh, I switched to an all-meat diet and everything changed and I didn't have gum disease and I could levitate and so on. And, you know, great. You know, I think that's wonderful. And again, I have tried a variety of diet changes, but um, I just kind of always drift back to kind of stuff that I'm used to eating, but no sugar and less of it. So that's just the reality. So what basis do we... Oh, ah, it flipped. It flipped. Uh, let's see here. Who do you think will win, win the Super Bowl? Uh, you know who will win the Super Bowl? Everybody who doesn't watch the Super Bowl. Those are the people who will win the Super Bowl because it is such a waste of time. Uh, uh, Stefan, what do you think of new evidence that shows that IQ has increased in third world countries? I think it's wonderful. And there, of course, are a lot of environmental factors that have to do with IQ. Uh, you know, high, higher quality food can help. Uh, more breastfeeding can help. Uh, there are certain some evidence that, uh, you know, certain kinds of stimulation will, will help. So I would say that's great. You know, I think it's, it's wonderful. Uh, and, um, it, of course, you know, the other thing about stopping immigration is, uh, you know, the third, in the third world, the smart people are, are gold. They're like absolutely essential to the flourishing of those communities. And if the U S keeps strip mining smart people from the third world, it's going to be just a, uh, a mess. All right. Let's see here. Uh, you show looks good it's been solid for a while glad the changes could occur peak level glad i go to certain channels there is little assistance this one helps solid one no questions lol sorry i don't know what that means um yeah sorry i i i i bought a lifelong license to xsplit and i like the program as a whole but i started it up and it's like you have to reauthorize you have to update all your plugins and it's like it wouldn't reauthorize and it's like oh my god <laughs> i had to switch to a sort of backup way of doing it which i haven't done before so uh, sorry about that. Have I tried Python programming? I did once briefly. It is very cool. It sounds cool. It reminds me of turtle programming from way back in the day. Walk, turn left, all that kind of stuff. Uh, thoughts on all the backlash from wake, Make Women Great Again? I really haven't uh, focused 
on the uh, the backlash. Uh, so, Stefan, do you think mass legal immigration has become a bigger problem for the West than the old argument of illegal immigration? Well, yeah, of course. You know, this is the uh, this is the America first split, right? Uh, and um, sort of the battle between. Nick Fuentes and Charlie Kirk and so on, which is a lot of the people are like, well, we've just got to stop all immigration. And this is um, uh, Ann Coulter's argument, stop, stop, legal Im- stop legal immigration for like 100 years and let's integrate the people we already have because it'll probably take 100 years. And so this question of like, well, the problem is illegal immigration, but boy, legal immigration is really, really great. And Charlie Kirk had a, you know, let's staple a green card to people's diplomas who come from overseas. And he backed off from that after a variety of, of pushback from it. So... Um, I mean, immigration is a massive experiment that there's not a lot of historical precedent for its success, and it is going on, it is escalating, it has become a self-sustaining snowball because of the voting base that's already here. I don't really see any practical way of stopping it politically, um, and there are other ways of stopping it, which I hope to hell never manifest, and... um, yeah, but I think that this argument as well, it's, you know, and Trump is, you know, guilty of this too. Like, I want even more illegal immigration. It's like, why, why, why? It just makes no sense. Uh, well, of course it does because the Chamber of Commons wants cheap workers and the leftists want their voters, so. You were bloated in Hong Kong because of all of that substance Asiatics add in their food. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Let's see here. All right, do a couple more. You guys are too much fun. You guys are too much fun. What do you think of David Icke? Uh, that's the lizard guy, right? Um, I, let's just say I don't really follow <laughs> that particular mindset. How do I prevent my little cousin from becoming a ooh, <laughs> becoming a, um, uh, a loosish woman? Uh, well, you've got to try and get her to bond with a quality man, uh, a father figure, right? A father, or if it's your if you're the uncle or whatever, just have quality relationships with her, and I think that will that will help. Intermittent fasting is really good for us. Skip breakfast one or two times a week. I've heard of that. Do you speak Greek? I do not speak Greek. I got to tell you, it's funny, you know, I I counted it up once. I think I've worked in 16 or 17 different computer languages over the year. And for me, learning a new computer language, easy peasy, nice and easy. But I tell you, for me, learning a foreign language, oh, man. Like somebody like Jack Posobiec who learned Mandarin. I mean, okay, he was younger and brain plasticity a brain plasticity begins to significantly slow down in your mid to late 20s. But, um, boy, uh, it's uh, it's really hard. And I think it's because my fluidity with English is so strong that I see the sort of gap between learning a foreign language and how long it would take to be good at that foreign language or as good at that, in fact, in that foreign language as I am in English. And it's like, oh, I don't have 20,000 hours to burn on that. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, I used to speak. German when I was a little kid, but I haven't done it. All right. Let's see here. Have you give a whole foods plant-based diet? If I try, I lost 80 pounds in nine months and upheld it off for six years. I actually weigh less now than I do when I was 18. So weight is not particularly an issue for me, although I do have to... Um, um, I do have to uh, uh, work on, on not uh, eating too much sugar. That's still a bit of a challenge for me. All right, um, you guys are too much fun, but I'm getting hungry, actually. All this talk about food is getting me. Steph, do you have a copy of Mein Kampf on your nightstand? No, but I did read it uh, when I was working on a historical novel, so no. 
let's see. Would you? Yeah, all this. Would you consider collaborating? These are just people I don't know. So, you know, just make a case and, and send it in to me. Uh, that's right. Bring back the old SNL and comedy that aren't about politics. Well, yeah, of course, right? Uh, of course. Um, but everything gets taken over for political ends. And the more powerful the government gets, the more people want to take it over for their political ends. So I'm afraid that won't happen. Can the UK survive as a union after Brexit is done? Well, sure, absolutely. But, uh, Stefan, will you debate Taylor Swift on the, on the subject of eggs? Yes. Uh, Stefan, who killed JFK? Um, well, um, Roger Stone makes a very good case that LBJ had a lot to do with it, and you should read that book. Uh, right. Last story. These are going quite fast. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Like and share and subscribe and all of that. That would be, uh, that would be great. Uh, you get immediate feedback when learning a new programming language and interaction. That is usually not the case for natural languages. Yeah, that's kind of true. And, of course, once you know one computer language, it's just a matter of syntax for the others. So, All right. Let's see here. Stefan, one issue with your argument against the existence of God. You claim there is no God while simultaneously being an effing God of philosophy. <laughs> now, that's what I call an argument. Now, that's what I call an argument. Uh, have you read any good books uh, lately? So... Uh, well, I mean, the, the book I read most recently was uh, Loser Think by Scott Adams, which I did uh, enjoy. It's very good. So, um, could you make another video about mythical creatures, e.g. werewolves? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, your 21 Studio speech was amazing. Yes, thank you. That's what men really want to say to women. I really appreciate that. Thank you. What is my IQ? Never been tested. Stefan, have you ever spoken with Owen Benjamin? Uh, I have done some shows with Owen Benjamin. Uh, Stefan, I watched your Elliot Roger video and I realized I'm a lot like him. How to prevent turning myself into such a crazy person because I feel so much frustration and aggression exactly like he did. So if you want to solve problems of aggression, and please understand, you, if you feel a, a thirst or a need or desire to harm people, please, please talk to a professional, call a helpline, check yourself in to emerge, do what you need to do to, to keep yourself safe, to keep society safe, and so on. So this is just obviously idiot amateur hour from the internet. But please, please, if you have a desire to hurt yourself or to hurt others, get professional help, get the help that you need. It's, it's there, and it can be very helpful. But what are you really angry at? There's someone, usually, in your life that you're really angry at. But if you have usually a culturally conditioned belief that it is absolutely immoral, wrong, and evil to get angry at that person, then you have all this anger within you. But you have no outlet for it because if you attach anger to its proper object, the anger then works to keep you safe and it dissipates. Right? This is really, really important. So let me sort of take, give you a silly example. So let's say that you're in the woods and you see that there is a wolf on your right and there is a squirrel on your left. Now, in a sane universe, you would be scared of the wolf and not of the squirrel, and you would move away from the wolf and towards the squirrel. But let's say society has conditioned you that wolves are lovely pets and squirrels are dangerous, rabid monsters that one bite or one scratch or even being in proximity to them will call you, cause you a fatal disease. Well, what you'll do then is you'll move away from the squirrel and you'll move towards the wolf. 
which is exactly the wrong thing to be doing. So the reason I'm talking about this is that uh, let's say, and we, we're talking about Elliot Roger, right? So let's say that you're mad at your mom and, and she was abusive or whatever. It's just a theory. I don't know, right? But let's say that you're mad at your mom and your, abuse, your mom was abusive. Well, then you're angry at your mom. You're scared of your mom. And you have every right to be because she harmed you enormously as a child. Now, if you have a social, socially conditioned belief that you simply cannot be angry at your mom, it's wrong to be angry at your mom. She did the best she could with the knowledge that she had. You have no right to, to be angry at her. And um, you must forgive her and, and so on. You must never raise your voice in anger. You must honor your mother and your father, blah, blah, blah. Well, then what's happened is your anger has been thwarted by cultural programming and conditioning. Now, your anger being thwarted doesn't mean that your anger just mysteriously goes away. It means that instead of having a rational fear and anger of a particular person, you then will become angry at society in general. It will be diffused. Your fear will turn into a generalized panic or anxiety disorder, I believe, or or paranoia or something like that, right? Your anger, what is it for? It is there to keep you safe. Anger is the immune system of your heart. It is supposed to set boundaries. It is supposed to keep you safe. And so the reason you'd be angry at your mother is so that somebody who had harmed you, like your mother, you'd get angry at that person. You'd be angry at that person. You might confront that person or not. But if you can rationally work through that anger and accept that anger as something there to help you with regards to someone who's harmed you in your past, then your anger will keep you safe. Chronic anger is when propaganda has interfered with our natural desire for self-defense to the point where we're not safe. We're not safe. Like if you keep walking towards the wolf and away from the squirrel and you keep getting bitten or chased or growled at or scared by the wolves, you get paranoid about the the forest as a whole. You don't want to go into the forest. Right? You get worried about everything because you can't attach your fear to its proper object. Now, if you can attach your fear to its proper object, you move away from the wolf, you defend yourself from the wolf, you go out with a gun or a whatever, a club, you can deal with the wolf... And then you're not scared of the woods because you have properly identified the danger in the woods. But if you're loving the wolf and scared of the squirrel, then you're going to keep moving towards danger and you're going to end up generalized panic. And so society, unfortunately, gives us a lot of programming around not criticizing our parents. Well, of course, society serves the needs of parents. Parents pay bills. Parents pay taxes. Parents buy things. And so society as a whole caters to the needs of parents, not of children. Right? So figure out who or what hurt you, who you're really angry at, feel that anger, recognize that it's just, recognize that it's fair, and the only way to get rid of anger is to accept it, right? The only way to minimize your fear of wolves is to be in a situation where there aren't wolves or be secure in your capacity to defend yourself against wolves. Because then your fear has produced productive action, which is minimizing the danger of wolves. So if you have dangerous people in your life and you won't criticize them and you won't confront them and you won't deal with them insofar as finding a way to minimize the danger, now the danger can be, you know, you're frightening to me and you need to change your behavior because it's frightening to me. Maybe you've got a girlfriend who yells at you or, or throws things at you or whatever. You say, you've got to stop doing that. This is really scary. Now, if she stops doing that, great then you've, in a sense, domesticated the wolf and you don't have to worry about being bitten anymore. If she won't stop being aggressive and scary, then you need to dump her because that's what your fear and your anger is telling you to do. 
But if you ignore your fear and your anger, you fall prey to the propaganda that says, well, you can't criticize and you can't make yourself safe. Well, then you're going to get really angry a lot of times because the anger is not going to give up trying to protect you. The anger is not going to give up trying to save you. Listen to it and attach it to its proper object and it won't be generalized. It won't be diffused and you won't end up acting it out on others. Again, that is my complete and total theory. If you have any thoughts about harming yourself or others, please, please get in touch with a professional. I'm not, obviously, right? All right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Could this conflict with Iran be just the U.S. lashing out because the dollar is losing its influence as nation states are turning their backs on the dollar? Well, I mean, unless it's heavily engineered, it was, of course, Iran who attacked the embassy. So I think that theory is not particularly helpful. All right. Have you ever done a video with Thomas Sowell? Uh, I did invite him some time back. Um, and actually, I did have a friend of mine uh, tell me that uh, she has uh, read Thomas Sowell's rebuttals to the uh, race and IQ arguments, which I've read, but not read carefully. And she suggested that I read them again, which I will. So uh, now let's see here. Will Trump lose in 2020 due to mass immigration? Well, of course, America bringing in a million mostly voting left people every year. Well, that's four million people, so it certainly could. I mean, the issue that um, the issue that goes on in America at the moment is is threefold, really. So, first of all, you have a lot of the boomers, the older people, voted for Trump, and they're dying off. And that's pretty significant. The second is, of course, massive immigration, which I, you know, may not give you the vote right away, but it certainly affects the communities that, that you move into. And the third, of course, is election cheating, right? I mean, this is, uh, to me, illegal immigrants getting driver's licenses and getting votes. That's a form of cheating, um, ballot stuffing, so to speak, uh, shipping people all over the place. I think it was Project Veritas who, who revealed all of that in one of their great videos. And... 120-year-old people voting, and Judicial Watch is doing a great job of trying to get voter rolls cleaned up, but it's um, it still has to be up into the enforcement. So it's a big, uh, it's a big problem. So it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. All right, I saw the email about doing a call-in show. I will work on that. Um, Hey, Stefan, I emailed you about doing a call-in show about being a 24-year-old black male still living with parents, failing to launch, feeling inert, and I'm in desperate need of a phone call with you. All right. I will um, look for that, and uh, if you're in desperate needs, I will uh, I will move you up in the queue and uh, all of that. So thank you very much. My favorite language? Oh, it's Visual Basic. It's just, sorry, that's just uh, old, old school for me. Well, it's very old school, I guess, right? Hi, Steph. I became both an anarcho-capitalist, firstly, and then an atheist due to your free books on freedomain.com, and I've never looked back. It's been about six years now. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very, very kind. All right. Have you read The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom? No, uh, I have not. What are your thoughts on Jocko Willink? No idea. No idea. Is Steph Baby Yoda grown up? Uh, let's see here. I'm more fond of C-sharp and C++. I don't know uh, C++ very well at all. And believe it or not, I actually started in assembly or assembler. All right. 
Is he reading the chat? I feel like I should be wearing a tie. That's pretty funny. Can you do a video about the Kalurgi plan? Oh, I've heard about that. Uh, I think that there's tons of videos out about that already, so I don't think I would be able to add too much. Could you face Joe Rogan in the octagon for betraying you? Uh, well, look, he's, isn't he a martial arts guy? I mean, frankly, he'd kick my ass. So uh, debate, yes. <laughs> martial arts, uh, not so much. Not so much. All right. Stefan, is it wrong not to have children? Uh, no. Uh, it's fine to not have children. I mean, I think it's kind of... I mean, lots of people can't, and that's fine. They can devote themselves to other ways of improving the world. But um, it is uh, It's kind of... People talk about overpopulation, but I mean, I think it's basically just people are lazy, and, and they would rather hedonistically enjoy the moment than build a family, which is a huge amount of work and all of that. And uh, I think it's just a real... It's a real shame for that. And, of course, everyone who's alive has benefited from somebody having and raising them. And if you like being alive, I mean, pay it forward, for heaven's sakes. Michael says, what's your new donation platform? I have yet to migrate from PayPal. So uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, or you can go to subscribestar.com forward slash freedomain. All right. I think that we should... Uh, yeah, I should probably... I got to eat. So, all right. Thanks, guys, so much. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, it's a wonderful evening to chat with you all. A very great pleasure. And um, have yourselves a, a wonderful evening. And um, I'm not going to do another donation request. You know, you heard freedomain.com forward slash donate. And uh, I will see you on the next live stream. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux because that's where I kind of announce these things and also the call-in shows, which I'll do a little bit more. I'd like to come up with a regular time to do it, and if you have any thoughts about it, just let me know on uh, Twitter. And uh, thanks, everyone, for your great, great questions and comments. It's always such an enormous pleasure. I never know how to end these things on the right timing, so I will uh, just do my very best, because I'll stop it here, and it won't quite work at the same time on YouTube. You love all these technical details, don't you? Mwah! Lots of love from the blue room, formerly the white room, formerly the red room. And we'll talk to you soon. All the best. Stefan Molyneux, out and about.